Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast, where we use calisthenics to gain body weight strength, build muscle to look like a bodybuilder, and unlock the mobility to move freely. What's up, everyone? I'm excited to share with you an up-and-coming calisthenics content creator. His name is Eric, and he is the host of Frink's Movement. I believe he has massive potential in this space and has a lot to offer in terms of education to help everyone empowered and learning and growing with calisthenics. Eric, welcome to Fitness FAQs podcast, mate. Hello, Daniel. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, for me, it's really crazy, you know, like to get this opportunity because uh, as a fan of yours, you know, like for, for years, uh, it's really crazy to see later on to get invited on this sort of uh, thing. So very grateful for that and, you know, very excited for the, for the discussion today. Yeah, for sure. And the reason why I want you on, Eric, is because I feel that your situation is very relatable to a lot of people that are listening and following and on their own journey. So what I mean by this is you started calisthenics very young, passionate about it, but then you've pursued this as a vocation and also a job over time. So seeing some success with that over the years, I think you've got a lot to share and a lot to offer in terms of motivating and inspiring people that want to follow a similar path. So just to start with, man, let's get a bit of a background. How did you get started with calisthenics? Um, yeah. So first of all, uh, that's, uh, that's very interesting story actually, because, uh, as you mentioned, I started pretty young, uh, I think I was uh, 13 years old at the time. Uh, it was uh, some sort of test. Uh, and I think I even mentioned that, you know, like in the, in the recent video, but uh, I always, you know, like I was never a kid that was good at things like pull-ups, push-ups. Um, my original background is tennis. So I played a lot of tennis in the past. But uh, when it comes to all strength-related exercises, especially with your own body weight, it was never something I excelled at, right? And so I remember failing multiple tests, you know, of the pull-ups in the primary school. Many people probably can relate to that. So that's the first point for being relatable here. Um, and I remember that I started training with my dad, you know, at home, just uh, mimicking him. He was doing some dumbbell training, very, very basic stuff uh, in his like home gym. And I started doing that with him, some bicep curls, you know, chest, uh, classic stuff, you know, classic stuff. I noticed some improvements in my, in my physique, nothing drastic, nothing unusual. Uh, I think I would, I'm pretty gen pretty like generic, you know, um, sort of development that you can expect at this age. And uh, I remember then in the middle school, which is before, uh, you know, like the three years before high school in my country, um, there was the pull-up test and I managed to get about, you know, I think five chin-ups at the time I got them. And I remember that when I came back home, you know, like I was so excited because, you know, it was never a possibility to, to do a chin up for me. So I started looking up, maybe, maybe I can do something more. Maybe I can do, you know, like something even, even better than that. Maybe I can do pronated grip this time, you know, which was harder, obviously. And, uh, 
it just happened that I came up, uh, that I came over on the video of uh, Dennis Minin at the time, uh, who was the Ukrainian, uh, I think, uh, athlete. And uh, it was very, very inspiring for me. I saw him doing, you know, human flags, doing um, so muscle ups with, with bicycles, stuff like that, you know, one arm chin up. And when I saw that, like I said, I want to do that. You know, like I want to be the person that comes to the school and does muscle up on the pull-up test, you know, like be so cool. <laughs> and uh, I started pursuing that. But, uh, and, and so this is the beginning. What happened next was a lot of different stuff. So from, you know, failures to some successes that we probably going to go go over to uh, but the general takeaway is yeah I started because of the online videos on YouTube and uh, started as a 13 years old young boy how did you go about learning and continuing to grow in terms of your knowledge first of all uh, I stumbled across the uh, some videos uh, in uh I, I think it was like some some Polish videos. So so because I'm from Poland, so uh, obviously the English was not as good yet uh, at that time. And I've been watching some you know tutorials online. So how to you know like how to do um, tra training program for yourself. How to develop it. And it was very basic. You know, I did not know what is what push means, what pull means, what, uh, you know, like what, uh, which splits you can do in calisthenics or in training in general. I, I, I just did not have this knowledge. And uh, at the time I just, you know, wrote the message to one of the Polish, let's call it influencers. And uh, he answered me on the, uh, on email. I remember uh, providing me with some very basic full body workout routine. I started doing that, and uh, as doing that, obviously, I've been looking up the, the technique of the exercises, uh, and uh, at certain point, I stumbled across your videos as well. Uh, I think these were mainly with the, uh, regarding the, um, your, your, on the old channel, can I mention the name or is it secret? Of course, people uh, can go back and have a look at me when I was a teenager. Tell them. Yeah, I, I advise everyone to do it. Uh, it's uh, the Conditioning Daniel uh, channel and uh, yeah, the legendary channel. Uh, and uh, you, I remember what I liked about this channel was it was your training. I think it started with some parkour and stuff, right? But there was the element of education there as well. So you've been giving those little tips, you know, like those, uh, for example, like what is in your training bag? What is, you know, like uh, doing these little things that really inspired me to, you know, like to, to keep taking the training on the next level and keep being more and more inspired because seeing someone that, you know, already is doing that for many years and, sees the results and just pursuing it with, with a passion, with, you know, like just, just, just doing that. Uh, this was very inspiring for me and very motivating. Um, and uh, so, so the conditioning Daniel was one of the channels, uh, definitely little Bistam, uh, little Bistam, uh, also Adam Rowe. 
And all these, you know, old school uh, street workout uh, YouTubers back then. Uh, so all these, you know, like all these were on my daily, uh, daily watch in uh, on YouTube. Um, and yeah, and I guess that, you know, like it developed over time. I just started looking up more into as I had the technique developed and as I had, you know, my basic knowledge developed, I started uh, being a bit more interested into, you know, looking for some books maybe on the topic. So I remember Convict Conditioning was one of those books. Uh, I remember uh, reading the, it was, I think, uh, Gymnastics Bodies uh, first edition or something, uh, the, the Overcoming Gravity first edition as well. And then I started looking up to more weight training related content and transferring the weight training content into the calisthenics. So this was kind of like the evolution of my calisthenics uh, training. Um, and I guess many people can relate starts from very basic things, starts with a lot of um, just general knowledge about program, about program, exercise selection, exercise technique. And as you get a bit more advanced, you start looking for some different things that you can apply and get uh, greater results. That's really cool to see your evolution from the start over time, Eric. And I really want to highlight something that is just so consistent with people that have built their version of success and it's finding information and people who are going to uplift you, whether that be online as well as in person. And it's great that you did that via the internet because let's face it, calisthenics is a relatively niche discipline globally. So you seeking out that information was the catalyst for you to grow and also evolve. I want to ask you, Eric, when did you start your YouTube channel, Frank's Movement? And could you explain what Frank's actually means? The fun fact is I'm a bit of a football fan or soccer for whatever um, you know, place in the world you are. Uh, and uh, there was this uh, pretty known at the time German player, uh, Torsten Frinks. But the problem is his... Uh, the Frinks was uh, with the G, not with the K. And so it was so cool, like such a cool name for me, Frinks, that I said, you know, uh, because my dad at the, at the time uh, came to me and said, we need to, uh, we need to start, like you need to start your email, you know, set up your email, email account. And I said, like, what cool name I can use for that email? So I said, Frinks, you know? And the thing is, I just made a mistake and I wrote it with K and not G. And from that time, Frinks became my online gaming um, nickname, you know, everywhere. Uh, for whatever reason, it was never taken. So I could always use it. So Frinks was like always, you know, somewhere. And by the way, if you play some old games, and you see the Frinks, it's most likely me that was playing this game. So yeah, I, I don't have the access to these accounts, you know, anymore, unfortunately. Uh, so but top, uh, top it's of probably... the leaderboard is Frinks. Frinks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the, the that's the funny story with the Frinks. Um, and now when it comes to the YouTube channel, uh, so I started my uh, YouTube channel <clears throat> in 
June 2019. That was the first video uh, I published. Um, so like two and a half years ago, uh, if I do my maths correctly. Yeah. I like that story because number one, you created a brand to start with. And that's always what I recommend people that are aspiring to create a business because then it's separate from your name and it has more growth potential. No offense, as opposed to Eric movement doesn't have as much uh, <laughs> in terms of brand growth built in. Is this something you did with fitness FAQs as well? Like, did you want to just separate? Was it the time that you kind of like knew that you're going to pursue it as a brand and not only as your like training account? Exactly. And I was very fortunate that my brother recommended this at an early age, just because he saw the potential with what I was teaching and just to have something that is greater than yourself is a really worthwhile pursuit. Yeah, because you can kind of see that, you know, growing in the future, even without you, right? And I think it's powerful. It's not dependent uh, on, on yourself, like you said. Uh, so I totally agree on that. Yeah. Today's sponsor for the show is Fitness FAQs. Use the coupon code PODCAST10 to save 10% at checkout when shopping on fitnessfaqs.com. Enjoy the discount and let's get back to the conversation. Also, by the way, I started recording in English also not to go to like the wider audience. Um, I started recording in English because I was afraid that my friends will find my videos online. <laughs> so wow. I find it fascinating that you said that you did not want the recognition, but then look what happened over the years. Cause it's the exact yeah. same, exact same thing that happened to me. And I think the people that do it from that true place of sincerity end up reaching more people just because it comes across as very authentic. You're not there purely for the motive of getting views, earning money. Sure, you want to get those things to be able to do it as a living, but at the root of why you started was a more, I guess, intrinsic form of wanting to get the message out there. That's very, very true. And, you know, and I, and I also remember, you know, like watching many people and I always really enjoyed watching people that I did not see the element of like show, you know? So, so I, when I saw that like the real passion, so someone really wants to share something with me. So something and not himself, you know? So, so he is like, he wants to share some bigger thing, like so something, some, some idea, some, something that everyone can apply and not himself as a person. Look at me, look what I did, look, look who I am, look what I do. And that's what we all love about your videos that you're posting on YouTube, Eric. It's the fact that you're presenting principles, concepts, giving examples, and you're doing that not only with yourself, but also other people. And that just really makes it easy to consume, learn and grow and apply it to your own practice. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for people showcasing purely their own training. Look what I did. Look what I achieved. But from watching so much content over the years, I find that if there's an element of this is what's being done and this is what you can take away from it, everyone grows. It's really, really good way to do things. Clearly, you've got a massive passion for calisthenics, Eric. What is it specifically 
if you had to say that is most exciting about calisthenics compared to other types of fitness? Two things that excite me about calisthenics the most. So first, it's the combination of simplicity and complexity. Um, at at you know, so if you look at front lever planche, you can see something that, uh, in comparison to you know some sort of gymnastics, uh, acrobatic elements, seem to be very basic. And I think people sometimes call it basic strength, even though sometimes you need you know ten years to achieve it. But whatever. And when you look at them, you can, you can think about simplicity, but then, or, or one I'm chin up, for example, right? But then you, you, you sit and you start digging and you start looking at all the little things that create this movement. You start looking at all the you know, variables. You, can, you, you see all the differences between people's technique, why they are doing that. What's the, you know, like why this person has this sort of, you know, pattern in their, in their planche or in their one arm pull up, why this person does this. And for me, it's very exciting because this is something that is very appealing to most people like doing the planche. So most people, you know, will be very, um, for most people, if you, if you, if you show them something like planche or front lever or one arm chin up, it's going to be very um, exciting, very uh, effective, you know? Uh, but, uh, so, so, so here's the simplicity. Um, also, the principle of holding the lever is just, you know, the center of mass under the, the, the you know, your support. Uh, but when you start actually digging in, in these skills, you you happen to record one hour video about it. <laughs> so, and that's why I love calisthenics. You know, that I thought that one arm chin up is such a simple move, hard, but simple. And then I started exploring it and I just, the whole world of different things open, you know, and talking with different peoples and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so this is the first thing that excites me about calisthenics, this sort of weird combination. And the second is the variety of goals you can set for yourself. And the fact that you can be really great at one thing and not that great at the other thing. I found it very, uh, very inspiring because there are people that are predisposed for certain kinds of you know, elements, for certain kinds of activity, and not so much for the other. And so here is the game, you know, like for some people, the real fun is just getting all of them, you know, like being good here, being sort of complete athlete. Uh, for some, some people can specialize in one of them. Some people um, choose on purpose, they choose the the areas that they uh, lack the, you know, um, development, and they just work on their weaknesses. And I love it about calisthenics that it's not just Powerlifting is great as well, but it's not free lifts, but it's, you know, it's the whole variety of different things that people associate calisthenics with flexibility, weights, um, you know, like uh, the, the street lifting competition, um, gymnastic strength, straight arm strength, bent arm strength, everything. You can build physique, you can, you can do sort of like so much different stuff. So these two things excite me most about calisthenics, I would say. 
Can you provide an example of being good at one thing and not so good at another? People who are really good at things like study cults and things like uh, way, uh, things like you know planche, uh, things like front lever, you would expect them to have you know world records in terms of you know um, weighted calisthenics or street lifting. It's totally opposite, you know, and it's it's great that you know it's great to see the difference between how these athletes are even built, you know. Like you can see how you know there are people who can do. I've seen crazy things. You probably as well, but you know, like thirty planche presses or something. But at the same time, this person can like dip, you know, fifty kilos which is good for his body weight, but it's nothing crazy, right? It's nothing crazy. And then you see people who dip, you know, 150 kilos and, you know, and they don't have as great planche as they are, even though their relative strength seems to be much better. Um, other examples, obviously, regarding the leg training, right? Some people are just, you know, like choosing not to train their legs, which is totally fine for me. But how big difference that makes, you know, in, in the overall development, if you spend this, all these years training legs, how that makes you, you know, more sort of complete athlete, but at the same time, how it can negatively impact some of the things. Um, and the last example, which I found recently, there, imagine that there are people who can do Maltese or like, you know, crazy elements like on the rings. Maltese or like planche presses, but they barely do handstand push-ups or 90-degree push-ups. This one shocked me absolutely when I saw this, but it's actually true. I'm not gonna say the names, but yeah, this this actually happens, and, and it shows just you know like how specific these skills are and how um, you know uh, simply they look. Sometimes it, it it it's a lie. It's it's very complex. Oh, for sure. And that's why you always have to be careful when you're on social media, because you're seeing the representation oftentimes of someone that is a specialist in that particular domain, weighted calisthenics, strength skills, freestyle, etc. This isn't to discount what you can achieve. It's just the fact that you can do pretty well in a few of those domains through the beginner to intermediate stages, but to get towards that world-class level, something has to give. And that rule of specificity, as you said, Eric, comes into play because they're focusing on that at the expense of everything else. Yeah, I have a question to you, Daniel, actually. Do you think that um, if you specialized, if you had to, you know, like, let's say you want to achieve the absolutely best result for you, right? That you can achieve in calisthenics in some discipline related to calisthenics. And you have to choose one of them and you specialize, what would be the, the discipline, the sub-discipline that you would choose that you think that you have the greatest potential in? That's a fantastic question. And I'll answer that based on enjoyment as well as what I'm predisposed to, which is definitely the way calisthenic stuff for sure. I mean, I could go on and on about this topic, but after trying all of the different forms of training, for me, there's just something about progressing with the weighted compounds, which gives you such an excellent base and it is also sustainable. What I mean by that is you've got 
all the different rep ranges and intensities. If you want to build top end neurological strength, you can use lower reps. If you want to get in some volume and build some muscle mass, you can easily modify the exercise from a sustainability perspective, because you're using that full range of motion, you're going through all of the movement planes. I just find that it's a very holistic way to train the body and it allows you to say, okay, I want to get stronger at a straight arm position. Then you've at least got the foundation to be able to specialize in that. But I think most importantly, it's just, I feel that you can have much longer in the fitness game with this specific approach. I mean, we contrast with something like freestyle, for example, each their own. Oh, yeah. It's very popular, but I mean, you see what they're doing. You're not going to see someone that's like six plus foot, 90 kilos throwing themselves around because I mean, over time, it's going to beat you up pretty bad and probably isn't sustainable long-term if your body type and your temperament doesn't suit it. Yeah, I want to say I tried. I tried freestyle at some point and it was terrible for me. You know, uh, I was training with my friend, um, with my good friend, Grazian. Uh, so good. So cheers to him. Uh, but uh, yeah. And uh, I found myself to like be very unpredisposed for this sort of discipline. And like you said, you know, like I'm not very, uh, very, um, my, my height is 181, which is not like very, you know, like I'm not a tall person, but uh at the same time, my weight at the time was around like 85 up to 90 kilos. It was like the, you know, Frink's musment, as, as my friend David has said once. Um, and uh, I've been trying, uh, you know, like doing the, the 360 swing. <laughs> and like, I have so many fails recorded. I'm going to share, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to send you after the, yeah. the call, some of them. Uh, but uh, it's, um, it's really, you know, like, and, and then I also realized how, you know, how big this world is and how hard it is to, to be, you know, somewhat even decent in, in each one of these things. And I expected that you're going to say weighted calisthenics. Eric, what are your social media stats these days? Where'd you progress to? The, the YouTube channel got uh, 24K stops, I think, yesterday. Uh, and I know that, you know, like it's not, it's not a lot, but, uh, in comparison, but for me, it's just a huge number for me. It's just, you know, like as someone that always wanted to be in, in the position that someone, you know, took, took the information that I provide and use it for themselves. For me, it's, uh, it's, you know, like I'm totally satisfied at this moment with, with where I am. And the fact that, you know, like the videos always get more views than I have subscribers is even like more um, fun for me to, to, to see, uh, I guess. But it's not, you know, like the main course of what I do. Uh, definitely not something that, I fo- that I'm focusing on. Uh, but yeah, definitely YouTube channel is what I'm, what I'm doing right now. You know, like in general, what, what I focus on and what I would like to grow over the time. You have a very healthy mindset for someone so young, Eric, in terms of your interpretation of what success means, defining that for yourself, that is absolutely huge. I, I really respect that because when we look on the internet for inspiration or in our daily life, et cetera, it's easy to get deflated because we often see people who are doing better than us in so many different domains. But just to point out once again, you said that relative to you, 
and your personal growth, your personal expectations, you're progressing. Keep that mindset no matter what into the future because with that, it's always going to be relative to your position. And that's a lot easier to, I guess, deal with and control compared to, I guess, constantly comparison to others. I, I like that a lot. And I have a question to you. Uh, did you find like on your way, let's say when you started, did you have these moments where you like started feeling like you involved yourself too much into like unhealthy competition when it comes to, you know, um, regarding, you know, like video views, things like that impacted your, your, your mood too much? This is such a great question, Eric, and it's so relatable to everyone, whether you've got just a social media page that you share with friends and family, or if you're running a brand or a business of some description, because it's all relative to the position. Everyone would be feeling a similar emotional response and impact based on what's happening. I think for me, man, because I've been doing it since 2009, back in those days, I guess the platforms weren't as addictive in terms of the way they were constructed compared to now. So I guess me being in it for so long and having an early introduction allowed me to be able to be able to tolerate the response and how I'm reacting to it. But this is something that you're never going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm completely detached. I don't care how many views I get or the response. Anyone that says that, myself included, would be being disingenuous because we care like we we're humans right we want to be accepted we want to grow and progress and if it's not reflected in our work we take it we take it very personally so i mean that's something you always deal with but it's i guess it's part of the game of putting yourself out there but it always has to come back to this one thing eric it has to be about the process if you're genuinely giving your best effort into the production into all the elements of the research you put something out there, if you are personally proud of yourself and satisfied, that is absolutely key because there are so many variables out of your control. What's the topic you're talking about? What is the platform and the algorithm going to do with your content? There's just so many things out of your control that for you to beat yourself up on the response would not be the best course of action. But if you were to look back on it and critique the video and have feelings of hesitation, completely detached from the, the views, the likes, all that stuff, that's when you've got to keep it, keep it real with yourself. Okay. So, so, so when, you, when you see you know, things that are actually related to the video itself, you're not satisfied with the content and not with um, the results that it's getting, um, you know, out, something outside of what you can control, which is, for example, you know, you can control how, how many views you're going to get up like till certain point, but a lot of that is just, you know, like um, just getting on, you know, like you're not even able to predict that. So um, I know people, I know many people, my friends that, uh, are like more definitely like higher than, than I am when it comes to the, the social media uh, in calisthenics. Uh, and they are like the na- analytics, you know, like of the, uh, all the possible, you know, uh, variables when it comes to the analytics. Um, I was not like, 
I never decide. I decided not to involve myself in it right now, at least, because I know that with my sort of personality, I would start overthink it, and it would have a negative, you know, influence of what on what I do. If I saw, you know, like some anal- analytics saying that I make too long videos, I know that I could like take it, you know, like personally. So I don't want to do it for now. I'm just, you know, running away. <laughs> so no, that's, it's it's not a bad approach. I think that that's going to keep your creative process a lot more sincere. And the thing is, when you're posting this content, you never know what is actually going to work because there's been times where I have produced something where I was sure this is, it's a good topic. I've put high production value into it it achieves X result. I put something else out where I'm like, I am not sure about this. I'm pushing my comfort zone. I don't know how it's going to be received. Does amazing. So the moral of the story, Eric, is just put stuff out there and don't overthink it because there's just too much to factor in. What would you say is your greatest calisthenics achievement to date? So I achieved the stolder press at the body weight of 90 kilos, I remember. And after getting the stolder press, I started pursuing the full um, L-sit press on the floor with straight arms. Uh, it was brutal and I did not get it on the floor, but I did get it on the very on the very small parallels. And I have the, the recording of that uh, on, on my Instagram, actually. Um, and I... And I don't know, like maybe, you know, for, for gymnastic standards or something, I cheated because like my legs touched the, the floor. Um, but for me, it's a great achievement for me. Uh, and it was also the body weight of, I think, like 88 or something, which is additional, you know, personal, let's say, success for me that the, the relatively high body weight for this sort of activity did not stop me from achieving it. Mm, But the funny thing is, even though that's probably like one of the most impressive things I did, because I also did 90 90 degree push-up, but I don't, um, but I think that more people can do 90 degree push-up than the full press. Maybe if we exclude the population of, you know, like young gymnasts or like, because, you know, there are like gymnastics uh, girls that do this stuff, you, you know, they can do 20 of that. But excluding them in the calisthenics, I think this is sort of like one of the impressive skills, not as impressive as, you know, mana or, you know, some, some crazy stuff, but I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah, the Stolter Press, especially for someone that fits your archetype is really impressive. Being 181 centimeters, nearly 90 kilos, to be able to have the straight arm pushing strength, the compression mobility in the legs, to do that is you'd be in very rare company. So for those that are listening, just try and do a press handstand and you will understand what that level of ability is. But I also like the fact that you said that it's once again relative, which is what makes calisthenics a blessing and a curse because it's hard to compare what you've achieved to other people because there's so many variables, your height, your weight, et cetera, as a male is completely different to, as you said, Eric, a young gymnast who can be able to do it because (laughs) it's more accommodating attributes. And that's what's such a fortunate thing about your position with Frank's movement is you're pursuing this 
with your education into physiotherapy. So you've got the, the book smarts and you're building a brand. So in your position, the ideal approach would be to play to your strengths because that's something that you find fun doing. And then you're so fortunate because you're in Europe and you've got the opportunity to connect with other people who are freestyle specialists, who are weighted calisthenic specialists and using them to, I guess, be teaching material in your content. That's the future for you. And that's what I do. Yeah. And that's what I do as, as well. Like right now, to be honest, like the best thing that I, I think the best thing that I started doing is not putting myself in the position of, you know, expert in every single field. I consider myself to be good at some things, you know, like I can do this and that. But for example, if, I, if we are talking about, you know, optimizing, if we can use that word, um, your weighted dip or weighted pull-up technique, there are like experts on these topics, you know, for example, uh, our friend Misha, right? Uh, and I would much rather take him and do the citation of him doing, you know, like saying something about it or like having a little chat with him, having a bit of conversation because I know that he is, you know, like preparing people for street lifting. I know that he knows the tricks. So um, I think that you're very right that it's, it's an awesome ability to connect with other athletes of other people. Um, you know, I'm, I also have some people that follow me that train the, the freestyle uh, that uh, are very good at it even, you know, and uh, at some point I would be very down to, you know, trying again uh, and asking, you know, like, what's their perspective on like their training, what they're doing with, you know, how that differs from the normal approach, you know, because that's totally different, probably more like a skill practice sort of. Um, so, yeah, so uh, very interesting, um, interesting to, um, to hear other people's perspective on different topics. And I'm blessed with this uh, opportunity, like you said, Daniel. And that's the awesome thing because you'll get both sides and both perspectives. You'll get the expert who's giving their highly qualified techniques, tips, and demonstrations. But then you can also feature in the video yourself and humble yourself as the beginner. And it's so relatable to people. Shout out to Saturnal Movements. Yeah, when I shout was, out definitely. When I was traveling in um, 2019, that was the content that resonated so much with people when... I showed Gabo the one-arm chin-up. I'm good at it. He struggles with it. And then I went into his world of the yoga, mobility, flexibility, and was very humbled by my lack of side flexion and I remember flexibility. Yes, I remember watching this. Uh, it was just great content to watch. It was just great, you know, like this sort of comparison of like different worlds and calisthenics, different body like uh, types, I guess, builds, you know, like how your bodies are built and uh, and and both, you know, like both uh, knowing their stuff. And that, but the best thing about it is, I think, the respect that you guys had for each other. That was the the greatest thing to watch, you know, like how, you know, it was, there was like no, maybe internally you had, you guys you know, had some competition, but 
it was more like they respect and learning from each other and it was awesome you know and uh, yeah so and again like i have to give shout out here for for gabo because he's also one of the people that you know very um you know famous in this uh, in this circle that uh, started supporting me from very you know early um days uh, and probably also if if not him then many of the you know future projects would not work so uh, like would not get the outreach or or anything so uh big shout out to him from from my point here yes what separates you from all of the other trainers and people who are trying to teach calisthenics and build their following very deep look at certain subjects in calisthenics from both mental and physical perspective right and after seeing your content and it's safe to say that this is how everyone else feels that's what we really enjoy about what you do because you break it down into such extreme detail that is just really rare to see elsewhere but the thing is with with people we want to be told what to do that's probably 80 to 90% of the people who are following your stuff so what i found over time very similar to you eric i, I like breaking things down but you need to give people a big picture summary so that they can have some kind of clear understanding afterwards. I think if you combine that, the sky's the limit. I'd just like to have a quick discussion on what it's actually like being an introverted leader. Yeah, so uh, it's it's very nice to hear that I'm a leader. That's the first thing. But definitely, you know, definitely being an introvert and when I say introvert, I mainly mean, you know, someone that is preferring usually spending time alone, uh, likes having small group of people surrounding him, not large group, gets, you know, like tired from a lot of, you know, interactions. I tend to really enjoy, you know, like um, deep conversations with people i really enjoy you know like having really like um yeah the you know like deep talk with someone that with one person that's like my favorite you know like way of spending time but uh, what i find that is like what we are doing here and what social media is about it's about you know like showing your stuff to a very large number of people uh, and i guess that you can look at that that I'm doing something that is totally not with my, like not consistent with my nature. But recently I had a thought on that, that maybe I'm even more predisposed to doing it. Maybe the fact that you are introverted and that you enjoy spending time with yourself, if, if, if I can say, it, say that um, in a good way, maybe that predisposes you to putting a lot of time and energy into something um, because you get that, you know, in you get a lot of enjoyment out of it. You know, I'm also, I have a lot of other trades that I think can be consistent with that. For example, I consider myself a pretty sensitive person. Uh, so, you know, like uh, I think scientifically, um, you know, like there are like some scientific terms for that. Uh, I think it's called the 
high sensory pro, uh, or sensory processing uh, sensitivity, but uh, I tend to also like feel a, a lot of things, you know, like harder, especially, you know, like people look at that from the negative context. So, okay, you are more sensitive and, you know, like, let's say you're in the crowd and you, you have a lot of noise and that tends to really uh, mess you up, you know, mentally. And I am like that. Or a night of, you know, like bad sleep uh, is going to take you, you know, more to recover. And your next day, like you cannot, res you cannot function where some other people I know can, you know, like sleep for, let's say, five hours and they can go through, you know, the whole week, sleep like one weekend better and they can go on, you know. And I myself don't have that. I have like a really, you know, like big requirement for self, like se for like self-optimization, if I can call it this way. You know, like it's a, obviously it sounds like some sort of bus word, but bus term, <laughs> but um, I find that like, I honestly, this year, I realized that these are not bad traits. These are not the things that are making things harder for me. These are actually things that I can take and I can apply to like doing something bigger and I can resonate with more people. I can kind of like spend more time thinking about one concept because I don't get thrown off. I get a lot of enjoyment out of, you know, like focused time, a lot of enjoyment out of just being with myself and contemplating about one certain idea. And uh, for all people who are introverted and who are listening to this, there's a lot of power in your traits. And so don't perceive that as something that is, negative because I used to, and I used to hate, you know, like not hate myself. I was never like that, but I, I, I had, you know, like the tendency of saying, I wish I could be, you know, and now I realize that if you choose the things that you do properly in your life, uh, which obviously I, I'm still like, don't know if I did that, but at least I feel like I'm in a good way towards it, then you can see how beneficial these traits can be for you. And I think that's a big takeaway um, from it. Yeah. Well said. That is just great advice for all of the introverts out there who are possibly feeling hesitant about putting themselves out there publicly, because as you just defined and summarized so well, Eric, those traits that you might feel a bit concerned about are actually the superpower which allows you to connect and contribute to a very high standard and the question is like with this consistency and some of your videos get so many views so many comments did you ever feel overwhelmed by this or it was like because it's not in person you don't feel it this way i think it's the framing of the attention which allows me to cope as an introverted personality what i mean by that is the fact that i am contributing to the culture at large and it's separate from myself as daniel vadnell the person allows me to to tolerate that because otherwise yeah as as an introvert the attention can be quite overwhelming if it was to be all gossip all about me all about my personal life 
which is why I am rigorous with making it about the concepts and the content. Because for me to share personal stuff and open up that and the public into that aspect of my life, it's just not worth it. You couldn't pay me enough money in the world to lose that privacy and just the connection with the people that are really close to my life, such as friends, family. So this is the secret, right? So you are kind of like, are very sep- you are really separating, you're really treating this as your business and not as you showing off online. Correct. And this is, yeah. I think... Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, like also listening to, uh, I think it was Austin Dunham channel. Uh, when you guys collaborated, I was watching his channel. I stumbled across like one video with you and it was the, the interview. And I think that, yeah, like I, I saw that you have a lot of hesitance to talk about your private life and, you know, and, but I think that's a massive, you know, like game changer. If you're introvert, separating what you do from who you are i know some artists personally uh, people who are doing music on a larger scale and i know that these people want like these people do exactly same thing they're giving certain brand names on like that is above their you know like nick or something so they know that they're creating some sort of niche they are creating some sort of um social circle even around their music but it's not strictly about them like it's the music that they're producing it's their work but it's not them um it's their like artistry and i think that having the same mindset especially as an introverted person is going to help you really like if you want to pursue anything content creation related if you feel shy if you feel like you know like people are going to comment on your like i did you know like like i mentioned in the in the middle school um just 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 try to separate that from 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 yourself just try to really focus on the information that you want to provide focus on the content foc- not on your traits not on your things your you know like um appearance i know it's easy to say right now yeah but it's something that you have to be very deliberate with and that has just transformed my life in all respects and for the sorry to discriminate against the extroverts but you guys don't have to really try and push yourself in this respect or think of this stuff but for the people that resonate with being an introvert like eric and myself That is just so huge because if you told me when I was a teenager that I would be speaking to 50 people at a workshop teaching Carl Snacks, there is just no way I would be able to do that But or present in front of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands that are seeing online content. Would I be able to handle that? Probably not if I was overly concerned of what do I look like? What are they going to think about me? Do they like me? Do they dislike me? No, it's about I'm here to do this mission, which is to get the message out there about the topics that I'm teaching for this day. And that is just such key personal development for anyone that's feeling shy about meeting new people, trying to make new friends, trying to get relationships and stuff like that. If you just distance yourself and just make it about asking questions, being engaged in topics and discussion, 
you're just going to be so focused on that. You're not going to be thinking about your own deficiencies and insecurities that are largely in your own head. Powerful, powerful thoughts, Daniel. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned them as well. Yeah. Having seen success over the last few years and growth with your business and your brand, what would you say would be good advice for aspiring influencers or Snakes coaches? Yeah, so so I think that when when it comes to the advice that I could give, obviously it's going to differ a bit for people who are strictly interested in coaching people and people interested in being influencers. I think a lot of that discussion that we had right now was, you know, it could be applied to both. Uh, with the introverted one, this was very powerful for the influencer part of like, you know, that people that want to put themselves out there. Uh, but I think that what we already said, which is you don't have to be perfect. Don't be afraid to put stuff out. You know, this sounds cliche. This sounds like any sort of generic advice, but as you're probably going to see a lot in the future, this, this cliche, you know, things are usually true, you know, like they usually, you're just not looking at them that seriously. But what I can tell you from my perspective, if I never, you know, like if I look at, at my videos right now from like the first video on YouTube or first, you know, posts, I cringe so hard. You can't even imagine. It's just, you know, when I, everything is bad about it for, for me, you know, like I, I look at my, you know, like I look at my, my face, I look at uh, the accent Everything is just bad. And uh, again, it's my standard. It's me seeing those things. Usually people are not going to be so introspective um, about, you know, the way you're talking. They will want the information of your video. They did not get there. Yes, they. there are like, obviously there are crazy things on the internet, some crazy stalking, you know, like um, hate company, uh, like ha hate campaigns. Yes, there are things like that. And yes, you, you can you can certainly, if you're very unfortunate, um, you know, be the victim of that, but it's very rare. And especially, you know, for the fitness content, I would say people are just looking to, you know, like get to know what you have to say. They clicked on the video because they saw the title and now you want to deliver what this title kind of like suggested. These people will not look at your eyebrows, your, you know, like your hair. Yeah, I, I get sometimes you know, like some messages about the appearance stuff, but uh, like, for example, like, um, I liked your other hair or something, haircut or, you know, whatever, but it's very mild and it's very rare. And I think that if, if that's the, the worst that can happen, you know, it's, it's not worth, it's not worth it not to put out the content. Um, so that's the first advice, but the second advice is kind of like what I did not say yet. And it's a powerful message that kind of like my grandfather uh, said to me a couple of, uh, I think, months ago. So um, the basic uh, idea is to never stop learning and the idea of input versus output. So my grandfather is a professor 
uh, he was teaching in US at certain point in Canada in many different um, areas. I'm not going to, you know, like go into specifics, obviously, but uh, he is like one of the uh, big people in his area of science. And uh, I truly see, you know, like a lot of traits of him in myself. And I know that there's a lot of things that I can learn from him because I can just see how passionate he is about his job till this day, being 80 years old. And uh, he said to me, because he's very supportive over my, like, um, he likes the concept of like the videos because he see, you know, like I'm going through different studies. He sees certain like um, similarities to like his job when he's writing the books and stuff like that. And I'm always saying that I'm doing like a baby form of what you're doing, but you know, like I, I, I appreciate that, that you're saying that, you know, but, and he, he likes to give me like these little nitpicks of like info. And he said to me once, because I was at the point where I was focusing maybe too much on making money on like the, the monetization aspect, which is not bad by, the, by any means, but I just, at certain point, I lost the, the big picture, the big vision, you know, and I said it to him that, you know, like I find myself to, you know, like lately not be so interested in these bigger projects or stuff, because I just, I just find to, it's a bit more comfortable to, you know, like think about, you know, um, maybe taking more clients, you know, spending more time on that because I can earn money this way. And he said that in science, the moment your output outweighs the input, you're out of game. And this hit me because this means that you as a person that has certain output that teaches people things, you cannot stop inputting new things. And the moment the content creator stops having new information, even if that's very little, even if that's sporadical, once every couple of months, then he's no longer, like, it's my interpretation. He was obviously talking about the science. There are people who are outputting, you know, doing studies all the time and, you know, like releasing books, but they're not reading books. They're not educating themselves. And I find that for me, it hit me because it said, you know, like for me, it was like a message that, yeah, I cannot get lazy with my input, with my information that I'm getting. If I want to provide information to people, I need to learn myself. I need to get more educated. I need to get better. And yes, I agree. There are going to be times in the future where there are going to be different priorities. I will want to focus on the business stuff, for example. But at the moment, you know, like I'm 22 years old and I want to expand on the certain topics. I don't want to get into the position where I'm lazy with learning things myself. I wanted to give this story because I know that, again, it sounds cliche. It sounds, you know, like never stop learning, like a motivational quote. But I wanted to give this context so people can really understand what I'm talking about in their specific situation, whatever they're, you know, like can transfer that to. It's straight facts because when you really think about it on a very simple and basic level, if you're learning, 
you will be able to contribute value, whether that is through teaching in a different way directly with your clients or small groups as a calisthenics coach, or if you want to build an information-based business, you will have something to say and back up your photos and videos with theory, stories, and the actual the meat and potatoes of what is being done as opposed to just showing it because that is a key separating factor that'll, I guess, distance you from other people trying to pursue the same thing, being able to articulate it in a digestible way that is constantly changing, as you said, Eric, in terms of being up to date with what works, what doesn't work and evolving with the learning. That's, that's huge. Yeah, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, you know, as a content creator, you yourself definitely had, especially, you know, given publishing, you know, a lot of content on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on different platforms in different formats. I know that it's just difficult, you know, but, you know, like, look, you are always providing something, you know, like you can provide information for people and they will always get something out of it you know like for example even providing the same information that you did but in a different form that that can be as well something new but as long but as soon as it it becomes you know like a same thing you know like over and over again like without any change, without any mm. format change, without like any variation in, without your evolution. Um, I just think that as a content creator, you're not relevant anymore. You know, like you have to keep growing as a person. You have to keep um, educating yourself. You have to keep, you know, like upping your game in terms of like your format. Um, and you know it yourself, man, but... I'm just talking from a person, from a perspective of someone who is just at the beginning of any sort of, you know, like road. Of course. And that's the real challenge because at large, we're teaching the key concepts and principles, which basic exercise science, there's going to be the fundamentals, which don't change progressive overload, full range of motion, exercise, which work, not doing gimmicks. So the real challenge is creating new content that is, as you said, portray in a different way, which is going to connect and resonate, but not just inventing stuff for the sake of it so you can make a new post. Eric, what's a calisthenics myth that you believe to be false? Looking at the form as the concept that is fixed. What I mean by that is um, I made a video about two years ago about the concept of reverse ego lifting. And this concept is something that I already had a lot of, you know, like problems with myself in the past. And that's why I made a video about it. And that's why I decided to kind of like break it, break it down to some other things, to some other aspects, because I found that it really is calisthenics um, exclusive problem. So basically when you, let's say that you have a set and uh, you have to do, you know, like your pike push-ups. Obviously, there are things that are just important aspects of this pike push-up that you want to do, right? So 
you know, like you want to lean forward, full range of motion, which is in your case, for example, it's going to be like range of motion is also arbitrary, right? Like, but we can articulate that in some form, in some way that full range of motion in this context is touching the nose to the floor. Um, your forearms should stay vertical. So obviously there are a lot of cues, but Honestly, we don't know what is like, what is perfect form. We can say that to, you know, like to, to attract people to, you know, like see this is how you should do it. But what we mean is that this person should do it to achieve certain goal. But this goal doesn't have to be, you know, like it doesn't have to be the goal. There can be other goals that we want to achieve. And in this, like the form is going to differ. Other example, squat. How many people do have like anthropometry to perform the ideal squat with a barbell, you know, like going midfoot all the time? Maybe like a lot of Asian people tend to have this sort of like really great proportions for that. Um, most people that I worked with, most people that I find, you know, like the most generic like form um, recommendations don't work for them. They just, you know, like, for example, their, their femur is very long, their torso is short. And if you're going to say this person to stay upright, what, you know, like it's, it doesn't cut it like physics, right? Like he, he cannot do that because he's like his center of mass going to go back and he's just going to fall. Right. And so, what's the what so 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 the main concept here is that the perfect form is like something arbitrary chosen you know something arbitrary made up by my by ourselves it's a concept it's not something that really exists um <laughs> sounds like mysterious but it, it's not that serious you know <laughs> and from that we can derive certain points so even if we get this arbitrary standards that let's say, let's call it hundred percent. Let's say it's a handstand push-up with, you know, like posterior pelvic tilt, closed chest, you know, head going, you know, between your shoulders at the top, uh, leaning forward, uh, 45 degrees, something like this. It doesn't mean that the rep was not effective if we get 90% of that. Um, but people tend to, you know, like overemphasize it and, uh, look at that from, you know, like too seriously, look at their body as, you know, like the machine that will perform everything in a same way all the time. Um, there are concepts that are, there are like concepts and there are like restrictions that are more important than others. Yes. You don't want to. Yeah, like opening up your chest will change the mechanics of the exercise. So we don't want to do it, but maybe a little arch in your like lumbar spine, maybe a bit of, you know, um, less forward lean and your forms go a bit back. Maybe you should just count it as a rep. Maybe that's not such a big deal. And then I realized that people doing that many times because it's comfortable for them. And I did that myself. So basically, when you have the eagle lifting in weight training, it's too much effort with compromising form, right? 
But in calisthenics, it's not enough effort, uh, but having the performance mindset over exercising mindset. So right now you're coming to the gym and instead of doing, you know, your normal sets, instead of exercising, instead of putting the effort, you are doing, you know, like singles of handstand push-up, you're doing the singles of straddle press to handstand, you're doing your handstand work, you call it a practice, and then you go home. And I had it myself. And I had many people that then, uh, you know, like, wrote to me that I had the same thing, you know, because the the soon as soon as you get somewhat proficient in calisthenics, it looks really cool. It looks really cool. It's really appealing. You want to do it. You feel cool doing that. And this sort of extrinsic motivation is causing you not to think about, you know, like the big picture anymore, but you start to be like a circus artist, you know, like you start being someone that does, you know, beautiful handstand push-up, handstand press, but you're not developing farther. And, you know, and I find that I made like literally no progress over the course of three to four months because I've been just doing this stuff because I enjoyed, you know, the sort of external validation, whether that was, you know, I was thinking cool of myself. Oh, I could not do it before. I can do it myself right now. Too much variation, trying new things all the time and doing these things, you know, like without like that much effort into the exercise, but more of a performance base. And yeah, and generally um, when I got over it, um, I realized that, you know, training should be hard. It's training it's calisthenics, but it's training. And so, you know, I no longer put that much emphasis on the form because I noticed that many of my clients develop the same things, meaning like they start, you know, like being very insecure about, let's say their handstand push-up form, which is crazy if we think about it, but it really happens. I do experience that, you know, in my coaching practice and in my training in the past. So this is the reverse eagle lifting. I know you probably wanted to ask about it before, right? So um, yeah, this is the concept of doing not enough effort, but having the performance mindset over the exercising mindset, which is very easy to develop in calisthenics with all the extrinsic validation from social media, people surrounding you and stuff like that. Now that's, that's very valuable, Eric, because... I think that people often get afraid that there's just one optimal, perfect way to exercise. And as you said, there is no one size fits all approach. We're all built differently, different strengths, different weaknesses, et cetera. So you have to find that technique, which actually connects with your body. But then also just, I like that point about the intensity of training versus demonstration and the inevitable form breakdown that is going to occur. It's just going to happen if you're training with any sincere intensity, like an RPE 8, RPE 9, something like that. You're not going to be able to have the perfect technique. And that's that's completely okay. As long as if the form is safe and you've built up the resilience and tissue capacity of your body, that's cool because then in the future, when you do want to demonstrate your strength, you're going to be able to do more with good technique in terms of a harder progression, 
activate more reps because you've built that capacity with your training. But it's all about the bloody social media, man. It's great for learning, but it's just such a nuisance for people actualizing their potential because in, in the real world, in the trenches, in the real training, people are getting after it with somewhat questionable form that is borderline safe, but this is what it takes to get strong. Yeah, but I also think, you know, that it's a great point that social media kind of like makes you think this way that, you know, someone's training is, let's say, singles of like um, straddle press to handstand on with a perfect form or something. But, you know, if you're training hard and consistently for a couple of weeks, let's say you're building up the volume, you just, you know, like it's, it's not possible to have this sort of, you know, like control and obviously some people will say that why not to perform this at the beginning and then go for you know like the hard stuff the tough stuff i don't honestly think that you can maintain the same like performance the, the same like prettiness of ex- if that's the word even of the exercise um with having like being fatigued you know and sometimes you have to do it um and to be and uh to to finish this part about um the the perfect form i also think that many people have the um, mindset or they they think that perfect form prevents the injury to happen which is obviously also something that is not true and you know like you can see that uh, you don't see any like correlations in the specific form regarding like uh, scientific evidence uh, with even most common exercises and it comes down probably most likely it comes down to the resilience that you specifically get from doing certain form meaning yeah okay you're gonna do uh, the handstand push-ups with arched back which anyways is like a very load you know like load for your back in comparison to some other things but if you're doing that consistently and if you're building that over time you're not gonna hurt yourself you're not gonna you know like hurt yourself um only by doing this form due to this form maybe some other factors like too much work uh fatigue you know and you probably like um if you follow mindful mover uh, Philip and uh, Martina, they are talking a lot about that. Um, they are talking a lot about, you know, like how it's more, how much you're doing uh, is, you know, that's where really you should um, seek for the problem and not what you're doing that much, even though it sounds like something totally, you know, out of this earth, something that's not consistent with any advice that you would hear. But I agree with that. I honestly agree with that, that your form is important, is very important for calisthenics performance, but it should not be chased as a fixed concept and especially not as something that's going to prevent you from injuries or even reduce the injury risk. So yeah, that's, I think, the biggest myth I see in calisthenics. What would be your best advice for how to avoid overthinking calisthenics? So my first advice is not to subscribe to Frink's Movement TV channel. (laughs) (laughs) I think that you should definitely not overcomplicate calisthenics. To be honest, I would stick to the principles. A couple of principles. If I had to choose uh, which principles 
um, that would be, I would say, specificity of training, progressive loading, uh, me meaning it's the term like uh, not progressive overload, but progressive loading. It's the term uh, I think invented by the uh, barbell medicine guys. This is basically um, implying that you are loading your body when it's capable of handling that load. So not like uh, loading it more than, you know, like it's capable of, it's just a bit reverse, you know, like concept training hard, but not killing yourself in the gym. So, you know, like sometimes training to failure, sometimes not, but in general, your training will be hard and that's good. Build muscle when it's time for it. So, you know, building muscle will be beneficial for calisthenics athletes, manage your fatigue levels. So you mitigate the risk of getting injured uh, and also, op, you know, like, and also make your performance better and uh, consider individual factors that each person has differently. So you could have some injury in the past, so you have to address it a bit more, for example. These concepts are enough, in my opinion, for the calisthenics athletes to have, and they should not overthink calisthenics in a sense of creating perfect program creating perfect routine progression model because i find that most of the times it's not going to work anyways like something is not going to work you're going to hit 90% not 100% and you're going to feel like total you know like someone that is not going with the plan there's a good book that i could recommend everyone to read it's called the paradox of choice and uh, in this book, um, uh, Boris Schwartz is talking about, and I think that there is a TED talk also you can you can watch. Um, and Boris Schwartz is talking about you know like the satisfizer mindset and maximizer mindset. Satisfizer is like choosing the option that is you know like somewhat good and going with it. Maximizer is like something similar to perfectionism, and he just shows different data showing how being satisfizer is just, you know, like more healthy approach. And I totally want you to be satisfizer in calisthenics. Choose a program. Most likely it's going to work if it has, you know, basic principles, basic concepts, go for it. Then make an educated decision if you want to repeat that uh, or if you want to change something and that's it. No overcomplication uh, beyond that. Excellent answer, man. I'm going to link Frink's Movement social media website in the show notes. I highly recommend everyone watch The Problem with Front Lever and The Problem with One Arm Pull-Up to see the level of attention to detail, research, and just premium production quality that is happening over at Frink's Movement. I am confident that Eric is going to be someone that is going to make an impact in this sphere in the health and fitness calisthenics world. So you heard it here first, he will grow for sure. So he's definitely someone to follow. He's got the fitness FAQ stamp of approval, if you will. That's, that's really, uh, that's really something. So thank you so much, Daniel, once again, for inviting me to the podcast. It was absolute pleasure and, uh, yeah, can't wait till it gets released and can't wait till I can share it with people. Perfect. Train hard, train honest, everyone. See ya. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Visit fitnessfaqs.com to master calisthenics and become a bodyweight pro.